0: The Charlotte Ledger Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. Hey, Tony Macia with the Charlotte Ledger, and you're listening to the Charlotte Ledger Podcast. You can find out more about the Charlotte Ledger by going to thecharlotteledger.com. Today's podcast is part of a special series we're doing in which we interview winners of the Charlotte Ledger's 40 Over 40 Awards. The recipients are people ages 40 and up who are making a big difference in the Charlotte area. People who saw a need and took action. The winners are chosen by an impartial panel of independent judges. We accept nominations in January and celebrate the winners in an in-person event in April. You can find out more about all of that at ledger40over40.com. The host of today's podcast is Steve Dunn and his day job he's a mediator who offers dispute resolution services through the Charlotte Office of Miles Mediation and Arbitration. Enjoy.
1: Hello, this is Steve Dunn, and welcome to the Charlotte Ledger podcast. I'm honored today to be joined by Kim April, Executive Director of Feeding Charlotte. Welcome, Kim.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Kim, you moved to Charlotte in 2001, and you came from Buffalo, New York. And as soon as I saw this about you, I've just been dying to ask you if there is an organized program of Buffalo to Charlotte or if this is something that has just happened spontaneously. And the reason I ask is because I've met so many people from upstate New York, and I thought it was just me. I thought my friends and friends of friends – you know, got introduced to me by each other, but I have learned over the years that I'm not the only one who has a network of friends from upstate New York. So how is it for you as someone who made that journey yourself?
2: Well, it's amazing. It's a lot about the weather, of course, as you can imagine. I think at the time I moved in 2001, I did know, I kind of followed some of my friends actually, and it's a similar sized city in a similar feel, but much better weather. So I think that's the main draw, because just imagine the weather up there is not the best. And my mom, actually, who had not moved out of her house in 52 years in Buffalo, just moved to Charlotte this past April, and she is so happy here. I think the weather is a big draw.
1: Well, welcome. We're glad to have you. One of the things that a lot of people in Charlotte will say is that it is rare to meet someone who was born and raised here. And Mm -hmm. as someone myself, I I moved here at the age of 13 in the mid-80s, and I'm about as from here as most folks are. I think it's Mm -hmm. more common to meet people who are born here now, but it still might be kind of the exception to the rule. And uh, Mm -hmm. a lot of our friendly neighbors have joined us from upstate New York, and we're happy to have you. So welcome to Charlotte, although it's been over 20 years now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you've got roots, and you you came here as a clinical social worker, you've operated your own business, and you are now working as the executive director of Feeding Charlotte. What yes. does Feeding Charlotte do?
2: So Feeding Charlotte is a food rescue organization, and food rescue is basically when you collect surplus, fresh, viable food that would otherwise be thrown away, and you deliver it to people who feed the hungry. It's that simple. I'm actually a co-founder of Feeding Charlotte as well. So there were three of us co-founders. We started talking about it back in 2018. And here we are today.
1: And there's a model in Asheville that was kind of a similar type thing that you were inspired by.
2: Yes. Food Connection in Asheville. In all of 2019, we were a chapter of Food Connection, actually. And so we kind of learned... How we do everything from them, so that's been amazing for us. And just because Charlotte is such a different type of city than Asheville, we made the mutual decision to branch off and, you know, branch off as feeding Charlotte in 2020.
1: What an interesting time to do it, because you're figuring out how to grow your fledgling nonprofit at the same time the whole world is trying to figure out how to deal with a pandemic. Yeah. It's it must have you must have started with some ideas about how it was going to be and then just had to change some things around on the fly.
2: Yes. I don't think it would have worked if we hadn't been a chapter of Food Connection in 2019 because we had established some really great food donor partners already by the time the pandemic started. And most of them, you know, colleges, universities, Atrium Health is one of our good partners, a lot of caterers. So what happened was you know, all the universities are closing down. They're not going to have food anymore. And so we did start to panic, but we had some great catering partners that stepped up and basically said, let's start a campaign together where we will ask our constituents and everybody we know to donate money for a program where we'll make food specifically for you. So Roots Catering and QC Catering, they both stepped up. And they made hundreds of pounds of food just for us every week. So if, during that time, it wasn't rescued food anymore. It was food that they were able to keep a, a few employees employed through this program. And also, we were getting all of our recipient partners the same amount of food they had already been getting in 2019. So they kind of saved us. If it hadn't been for those established relationships already, we I don't know what we would have done.
1: I want to ask you about the nuts and bolts of how you do it Mm -hmm. but to set the stage for this there's a statistic on your website that was very unsettling to me and that is that 40 percent of the food produced in the United States is wasted is that first Mm -hmm. of all is is that accurate like I I find that extremely difficult to believe and Mm -hmm. and concerning and I wonder What's going on to allow for something like that? Like the, what what mm-hmm. I would consider to be the normal operation of economics and markets, like would not allow for that. It mm-hmm. would we would find ourselves rather in a situation where prices are much lower or something. Like some mm-hmm. there must be some sort of logjam out there to allow for this condition to exist. Do you have a sense of what's going on?
2: Well, in our case, so we specifically collect s- surplus prepared foods. And that's a little bit different from some other food rescue organizations where you're getting leftover produce and things like that from grocery stores. In the case of grocery stores with produce and dairy products, they just have an expiration date if it hasn't been sold by then. But you know, people are finding that those aren't actually accurate. The food will still actually be good for several days, at least after they have to be pulled from the shelves. And then with produce, there's a lot of things about... The way the produce looks—that's ridiculous. You know, it can't be. The banana can't be warped in any way, or people won't buy it. Just crazy stuff like that. So,
1: what you—I guess what you're saying is that a lot of the the market-driven decisions to waste food are based on consumer preference, uh, and and also, I guess, some really like the appearance of freshness, where mm-hmm. as opposed to. The literal like suitability of the food for being eaten, right? Yes, and exactly. So pe- people don't want it, or mm-hmm. the stores don't want to sell it, mm-hmm. and so you, what I think I'm hearing you say is that they pull the trigger a little more quickly than they really need to on Absolutely. some of these products.
2: Absolutely. And in the case of the prepared food that we get, so we collect food from cafeterias, you know, that have large amounts of food for you know their employees, their students, things like that. It's hard to get past educating people about liability. So in the case of that type of food, it's often thrown away because the person who made the food thinks they'll be liable if somebody gets sick and they eat the food, and that's actually not the case. There's two laws out there that will protect food donors from liability, but that often stops them. That and just trying to figure out where they would donate the food and how to get it there because... You know, obviously everybody in the food service industry is so busy, so tired at the end of the day. They don't usually want to throw the food away, but they don't know what else to do. You know, they might give some of it to employees to take home, but that's not enough. I mean, imagine you're making enough food for 500 students in a cafeteria, but only 300 come in to eat that day at a college you have a lot of food left over. So basically they're just, it's just a matter of figuring out what to do with it and how to get it, where it needs to go, which is where we come in.
1: And what you're doing is you're matching, uh, folks that have extra food that otherwise might go to waste with organizations that exist to deliver it to people who need to eat it. So, but, and this is more than just about feeding people and, 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 in saying that, I don't mean to suggest that there's anything of lesser importance or mm-hmm. small importance about feeding people. But there's another consequence of saving food that might fly under the radar in some people's minds, and that is the consequence of food going to the landfill. And this yeah. this relates to the emission of greenhouse gases.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Before we started researching this in 2018, I had absolutely no idea that food waste was an environmental issue at all. I thought when food gets into a landfill it just decomposes, rots that maybe it's even good. Yeah, like Earth. of of like all you, the you know, of all the stuff
1: we send to landfills, you'd think it like food's yeah. like not so bad, right? right? right the right. stuff you worry about is like batteries and mm-hmm. old computers and stuff like that. But in fact, the food decomposes mm-hmm. and and it produces Yeah,
2: it produces methane and other greenhouse gases that are harmful to the environment and those are the types of things accelerating global warming. So, yeah, we we use a software system for to match our food donations with our food recipient organizations and that software actually calculates our greenhouse gas benefit as well. So, we we love that part of it.
1: Well, and as we're talking about this uh, this virtuous cycle that you're creating where you're you're taking excess food off of people who would otherwise just be discarding it. You're delivering it to people who need to eat it and can benefit from it in that way. You're saving the greenhouse gas emissions that otherwise would occur if this stuff was sent to a landfill. Also, there's a financial benefit to the donor, yeah, right? Because absolutely. this is essentially like a charitable donation, or so there's some mm-hmm. tax benefits, yeah, it, right?
2: Absolutely, yeah. It's a win for everybody involved, and a win for the environment. And yeah, the software I was talking about it creates tax receipts for the food donors that they can get whenever they want if they want it on a monthly basis a yearly basis and yeah often especially for caterers that could be huge in you know for their taxes so now
1: i know there's a lot of people who are listening to this who are thinking you know i'm probably not going to finish the sandwich that i'm eating right now i'm going to call kim and (laughs) and she can come over and pick it up or you know you know i've been composting lately i'm just going to come dump my compost over in your parking lot or something in reality you're there are limits on mm-hmm. what you can accept or what you even kind of want to accept under mm-hmm. certain circumstances right so yeah. what are, what are the types of things that uh, that that you need i will say there are other people listening to this who are thinking i really might be a suitable candidate for mm-hmm. participating in your program so what are you looking for what are you not looking for
2: yeah, we do not take food from people's personal residences. <laughs> so but sometimes we get calls about that. No, the food has to be prepared in a commercial kitchen. so, and then it has to be enough to feed at least twenty people. So we can't really we don't have the capacity to go around and pick up five pounds of food here and there. so and and enough to feed twenty people is actually only twenty pounds. Usually, it's about one pound per person. So it's really not that much, but, but usually we get it between 50 and 200 pounds per donation, I would say. And then, you know, there's requirements for how it needs to be packaged, stored, be prior to pickup and all that. But it, yeah, it has to be from a commercial kitchen.
1: And you're also though you, there's some nutritional content that you're looking for mm-hmm. as well, right? Like you know, if I've got fifty dozen excess donuts, that's a little bit different from mm-hmm. you know like a complete meal, right? In terms of what yes. you what your trying what your mission is.
2: Yes, we're looking for a complete meal, so we don't we won't take bread products or desserts without a meal accompanying it. So we will take those things, but it has to come with like lasagna or whatever else you have, we won't deliver just bread or just desserts.
1: So let's talk about how you actually do it, right? Okay. There, there's an aspect of it that is controlled by software mm-hmm. where you're matching up donors yeah. and recipients, right? But then you're also providing the distribution itself, like you're, you're picking up and delivering the food, right?
2: Yeah, our system relies completely on volunteers. So I think right now we have about 90 registered volunteer drivers, and they register in our software. It's called Chow Match, and they have to take and pass a food safety quiz in order to be eligible. And so that's that's really good for us. But essentially, a food donor goes in and posts what they have, what leftover food they have, how much it is, what it is, and what day and time it can be picked up. Based on that information, it matches with one of our food recipient partners, which is another nonprofit that's feeding the hungry. And the match is based on, you know, the type and amount of food, when it can be picked up, all that. And then an alert goes out to all our volunteer drivers that a food rescue is available, essentially. And they can go in and sign up for it. It usually only takes five minutes for a food rescue to get signed up for They go straight to the food donor location, pick it up, put it in their car, drive it straight to the food recipient, just straight from point A to point B. So at this point in time we don't have our own refrigeration or centralized location. That is actually coming this year. <laughs> but right now it just goes straight from point A. So if we didn't have all these volunteers, we could not do it.
1: Well, what's coming up then? You're going to are you going to have a location where a, a central point where yeah. you can pick up the food, bring it back, store it properly and then send it out wherever it needs to go?
2: Yes, we are going to be a part of something called the Hunger Hub. Beginning in August or September, we'll be able to move in there. And what I describe it as is essentially a co-working space for nonprofits working in the area of food insecurity. So we're kind of all going to be together sharing space. And if we need refrigeration, counter space to repackage food and things like that. I can't say that much more about it at this moment and who else is involved not allowed yet. There are some pretty large organizations involved, but we're really excited about it. It's going to be a game changer. We'll be able to collect much more food. We'll be able to collect food after hours, things like that.
1: You alluded to a term that food food insecurity. You mentioned mm-hmm. the concept of food insecurity. And among all the alarming statistics on your website are a few that relate to food insecurity. What What does that term mean and how prevalent is it here in Charlotte?
2: Food insecurity means that somebody does not know when their next meal will be or where it will come from. And that could be just for one day and it could be long term. So that's all it means is that, you know, think about a family and you're trying to figure out what your kids are going to have for dinner that night. And most of us are fortunate enough to just know, all right, I don't have anything. I'll stop by the grocery store. That just means you can't stop by the grocery store. There's not enough money because you need to pay a bill instead or you just don't know. So in, in in Charlotte, Mecklenburg County, the rate of food insecurity is 15%. So it is very high. That's up since the pandemic began. Prior to the pandemic, it was about 12%. So it's gone up.
1: How did you get involved in this work? You, you came to Charlotte as a clinical social worker. You've operated your own business, the Natural Wonders Play Studio, and at some point you decided to get involved in the cause of rescuing food. How did that happen?
2: <laughs> well, it's kind of a funny story. I was actually sitting down the day I thought about this to update my business plan for Natural Wonders Play Studio, but I was c- totally procrastinating. I was not into it at all. My husband was on a business trip in California. So he called me and he was like, this is really weird. I've been going to all these restaurants here that have stickers in the windows that say we are a 0% food waste restaurant. And since I'm trying to procrastinate the business plan, I'm like, ooh, I'm going to research what that means. I have no idea what that means. And that's when I found out these alarming statistics, like 40% of all food goes to waste. I had I didn't know that till this day. And then I immediately just started thinking about all the families I've worked with as a social worker when I would do home visits who had no food at all in their refrigerator, didn't know how to feed their kids. And it just really upset me that there's so much food going to waste. And I was like, we have to connect these dots and figure out how to get this food to the people who need it most. So we have enough food to feed everybody. It's just a distribution problem. And then... This is the funny part. I wrote a Facebook post, just random Facebook post that said something like, so if someone were to figure out how to take excess food and deliver it to people who need food, does anybody know how to do that or does anybody would anybody want to help me? And my two co-founders commented on the Facebook post and they were like, we would love to f- help you figure that out. And so we met for lunch the next week, got all excited about the idea And at the end of our meeting we were like, Well what would our name be? And we thought of the name Food Connection. So I'm I Googled it and I'm like, Oh, there's one that exists in Asheville and they're doing the exact same thing. So I called up the executive director of Food Connection. We had a two hour long conversation and she was like, Why don't you guys come to Asheville and shadow us, see what we do? So two weeks later we were in Asheville for three days and that's And here we are. Yeah. What what serendipity
1: that is? Are there there must be other organizations around the country. You mentioned mm-hmm. a software that you use. What is it? Grub. It's,
2: it's, it's called Chow Match. Chow. Yeah. <laughs> okay.
0: <sorry.
1: laughs> Chow Match. Right. Yes, Which Chow is, Match. Is, is is like Grubhub but different, right? Yeah. Because but,
2: there's also Chow Now. Okay. All right. So that kind well, of thing, and people always get it. Oh, sure, time.
1: of course. But what <laughs> what this suggests is that it, is is Chow Match for. An organization like yours?
2: Yes. So that is out of the software developer is in California and he's the nicest man you'll ever meet. His wife started a food rescue organization in California and he was a software developer and he saw the struggle and how to, you know, you're doing it all manually, which is what we used to do before chow match and weighing the food and all that. So he just developed this for his wife's organization to help her out. And now I think there are like 35 food rescue organizations across the country that use it. But you can customize it to your own organization, which is what I love about it. You can make different drop-down menu categories. And he's really great at changing things when you need them just specific to your organization.
1: Well, you've been in Charlotte now over 20 years, since 2001. In terms of your own growth as a person and the growth of the city of Charlotte, I wonder what you have observed about this place that we all call home.
2: Oh my gosh, Charlotte was such a different place when I first moved here. I remember you used to be able to go out uptown and park on the street easily. (laughs) Remember that? Anyway, that was it's crazy to think about and the skyline has completely changed but I have two children who are teenagers now and I absolutely love having them grow up here just with the culture the arts just so much to get out and do and for your children to get involved in and see and just so many opportunities so I'm really happy about that
1: well, you and I are meeting today because you've been honored as a recipient of the of the forty over forty award. There is great insight and wisdom that comes with experience, and mm-hmm. I wonder as you look back on your own journey, what what you would share with a younger version mm-hmm. of yourself or with your kids as they're coming in your footsteps.
2: Yes, I absolutely love being in my forties. First of all, this is my favorite decade so far. It is true. I mean, that's kind of a cliche thing to say, but it is true that you kind of stop caring as much what other people think when you get into your 40s. The advice that I always think of that I wish I could give to my younger self was to trust my own instincts and not be so persuaded by what other people are saying to me. I've realized that I have pretty good instincts, and if I go with those, I'm much happier And that relates to so many parts of life. Parenting is one of them. You know, people are always spouting parenting advice out to people. And when my children were really young, I used to listen and then feel bad about myself if I wasn't doing it that way. And now I'm just like, you know, I think I have good instincts and I'm going to go with this and I feel better about it, happier about it. There's just some kind of comfort in being in your 40s, I think. And now I'm inching closer to 50. So we'll see how that decade goes. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be great. I think it'll Everybody be great. always
1: says it's great. Yeah. Everybody I've met just says like whatever yeah. age you are is truly the best.
2: I, I mean, I have no problem with aging at all. I'm not one of those people that's upset about getting older. I think. It's great. I think people get better as they get older.
1: Yeah, I, I agree completely. I mean, there there are challenges with getting older. There are there are things that happen more often when when you get older that are, you know, life life is a harrowing journey for all of us for sure. But that's true at every age, right? Right. right. And so I you know, I think that, you know, as you get older, yeah, you're facing different experiences and different challenges, but you're also better positioned to go through mm-hmm. those
2: things. Yeah, absolutely. And then you also this age usually have at least a few really good friends that you've had for decades if you're lucky you know like my best friend from college we're so close and it's been decades and so you kind of surround you you learn to surround yourself with just the people who matter the most who uplift you and you know you learn how to create the life that you want a little bit better I feel like with the people.
1: Well, Kim, April, it's been absolutely delightful speaking with you today. Where can people go to learn more about you or about Feeding Charlotte?
2: You can go to feedingcharlotte.org and I think there's a wealth of information on there.
1: Well, thank you so much. Congratulations on being a 40 over 40 award winner. And thank you for spending some time
2: with me today. This has been fun. Thanks for having me.
0: That's it for today. The Charlotte Ledger podcast is produced by Lindsay Banks. You can find out more about the Charlotte Ledger at com, And you can find out more about our 40 over 40 awards at ledger40over40.com. Queen City podcast Network.com.